Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Wednesday the 4th of June. Well, uh, today on Small Biz Pod, I've got a great interview with one of my favourite UK managing directors, entrepreneurs. It's Clive Burney from the Somerset uh, manufacturing, uh, textile manufacturing business, Seven Delta. Apparently, on the surface, a very traditional business, a manufacturing business in the southwest of the UK. Sounds pretty traditional, but they're doing lots of innovative things. And Clive and his business partner and finance director, Martin Shiner, uh, use technology in interesting ways. So we talk about management buyouts, how to do them, how to manage staff, and how to leap through windows and persuade people to go with you, all safely, of course. So uh, stay tuned, as it were, for that interview. It's really good. But first of all, uh, thank you to all of the guys who wrote in with correct answers to my little quiz last week to win a copy of Rachel Elner's book, Business Nightmares. And in fact, three people very quickly came up with the right answers. So apologies to all of those who were a bit slow off the mark and missed out, but really nice to know that you are there. Um, And the three winners, just so you know, uh, were... Let me see. Nai Chung, who is from uh, London. All of these people, by the way, guessed or or worked out correctly that uh, Rachel Elner left Andersons to create Red Letter Day when she was 24. So Nai Ching in uh, London. Uh, Suleiman Rashid, who is from Pakistan. And who was the third person? The third person was Mark, Mark Lawrence from Belfast. So a very good good array of people there, London, Belfast and Pakistan. Uh, So, yeah, thanks to Mark, Suleiman and Nye for uh, responding. Uh, I know they've already got their books and I hope they enjoy them. Uh, It's a good book. And also, I mean, we don't do competitions, but all of a sudden there's another opportunity here. I have two free tickets to a really, really, really interesting conference that is going to be happening in London on Friday next week. I think it's Friday, Friday the 13th. I'm sure lucky for some if you win the tickets. The tickets are worth uh, 195 quid plus VAT. So I've got two to give away free to the first two Small Biz Pod listeners who email. You don't actually have to do anything other than just email um, the following guy at the company that's putting on this event and um, as you can tell I've got it ready to hand here we are Uh, yeah it's Keir you want to email Keir Whitaker and what is his email address his email address I'll put all this on the website but his email address is Keir K-E-I-R at carsonified.com carsonified is C-A-R-S-O-N I-F-I-E-D. So if you email Keir and just simply put in capital letters in the subject line fuel-smallbizpod, fuel, F-U-E-L, fuel-smallbizpod, you stand a chance of winning the uh, two tickets worth 195, or one ticket worth 195 quid to this conference. And what is fuel? Well, um, it's basically 
a one-day conference for entrepreneurs and marketers, marketers who want to make their companies, services and products truly stand out using Web 2.0, social marketing, online communities, Twitter and so on and so forth. Some really, really, really great speakers there, including uh, Tara Hunt um, and Alex Hunter from Virgin, as well as a whole load of other guys. Paul Boag, some of you may know from the uh, Boag World podcast. A lot of great people. So, and I'll be there <laughs> if you want to meet me. Don't let that put you off. But anyway, uh, yeah, well worth going to. Check out the program, fuel-conference.com. And uh, if you're interested, then just drop Kia at Cosonified a line. And uh, good luck. Better be quick, though. Right, without further ado, let's go straight into that interview with Clive Burney of 7Delta. Okay, well, starting your own business from scratch isn't the only way in which you uh, can end up running a business. Um, one way that uh, if you have the, the entrepreneurial spirit within uh, that uh, an opportunity may arise to run your own business is through a management buyout. Uh, tricky business, um, scary business, and a business that today's guest, Clive Burney, from um, a... Uh, textile manufacturing company based down in Somerset in the southwest of the UK. Um, he, he understands the management buyout very well, having gone through that process, I think, uh, five years ago. Uh, Clive, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Yeah, hi, Alex. Now, um, 27th of March, five years ago, what on earth made you decide to buy um, the part of the the business Seven Delta that you that you ended up purchasing, um, when apparently you know the the business you were employed by was going through incredible turmoil. What did you see that made you think you could make a go of it? Well, well first and foremost, I think I think that the turmoil wasn't caused by the bit of business that I was involved in, and at that point, you know, um, not quite running all of it, but certainly was was the controlling influence over it. Yeah. Um, you know, we were the consumer goods division of um, a bigger company, which was in turn owned by a small PLC that had got into serious trouble, mm. um, overextended itself on an acquisition spree that went badly wrong. Um, so they needed to um, get themselves out of a hole to start with. And one of the things they were looking at is, well, what can we sell? So they, they were originally talking to the PLC about buying out yeah. from within their operating company, if you like, and creating a new company and floating it off. They yeah. needed the cash. They were interested in that. Unfortunately, they ran out of time, and so we ended up talking to the receivers rather than to the PLC. Um, and for, but does that make it cheaper? <laughs> it, yes, it did. Um, tougher, a bit riskier in some ways. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly, yes, we got a, we got a better deal. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know... Very, very, very clearly, we, we've got a better deal. Um, it, some, I've said to people in the past, it's kind of like, yeah, we happen to be in, a, in the right place at the wrong time and, and got the better <laughs> end of it in, in that sense. But, yeah. um, but the business that we bought at that point was, was prior to the receivership issue anyway, was doing okay. It was kind of bubbling along. There was potential there. The yeah. markets we were in were mostly okay. We were in one or two where we needed to get out. But, you know, that, and... And there was more to be done if you could get more impetus behind the business. And it wasn't possible within a failing PLC. Mm, mm, mm. So you, you just saw the commercial potential within the element of the business that you were running. Just so listeners understand, I'm, my explanation of it probably wasn't in, enormously accurate at the outset. What exactly is it that 7Delta 
makes? Um, we make um, non-woven textile based consumer goods. Now what that means in, in, in consumer language or in to a buyer in the supermarket yeah. would, would mean um, we make things like wet wipes, mm-hmm. uh, we make things like kitchen textiles which might be from a, a simple cleaning cloth up to um, we've got some some um, some uh, things like aprons and oven gloves and stuff like that which, which we, we sometimes make, sometimes we outsource those. Um, although then my still my UK or, or at least European obsession comes in and I, and I keep it as close to home as I can. Yeah. Um, and then we, we make other things like tumble dryer sheets, which, um, you know, little fragranced and uh, with a conditioning formulation sheets of um, uh, textile, which you pop in the tumble dryer and makes your clothes uh, yeah, yeah, soft yeah. and fluffy and smell nice when you take them out. Yeah, yeah. And, and we do that, that kind of thing. So, And you, you, um, you also have a, quite a range of brands, don't you, that are, that are you know, they're consumer, consumer-facing brands in a quite a, a different set of uh, c- customer audiences, really. Indeed. It? Indeed. And the history of the business when we took it over was, was almost 100% supermarket-owned label. Yeah. Um, and we have steadily over the, beers, over the years um, um, built... Uh, a small, more niche, better value, branded portfolio. Yeah. Um, to, um, you know, offset some of the, you know, the risks of of being very dependent yeah. on big own label contracts. Yeah, so yeah. We, you know, gently, gently, year on year, we're kind of turning the, 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 you know, the the way the business works, so that there's, there's more and more of the stuff comes out, um, with with a trademark on the we own rather than somebody else's. Yeah. And that, but also we're we're you know, you've got to be innovation-driven in, in, in our kind of game because, you know, fast-moving consumer goods expire pretty rapidly. As, yeah. You know, um, a product life cycle gets, can get shorter and shorter and shorter, so mm. you're not continually innovating. Mm. And I've found over the years you can't, you can't really always get the... Either get your innovation to market uh, under somebody else's label as a contract manufacturer, or you can't extract enough value out of it to make it pay yeah. back. So... Yeah, we keep a balance, and, and, and the branded portfolio is, is a very, very important strategic yeah. direction for us. And presumably, I mean, I mean like, a, I mean like a, a huge range of British businesses that supply um, supermarkets. On the one hand, they're fantastic customers. On the other hand, they're smart business owners and not always screwing down the price. Um, does, does, do, do the brands allow, do the individual brands that you've created, and I know you've got kind of surf brands, as it were, or sort of uh, outdoor brands like Black Kite, do they allow you to to apart from reaching potentially new markets through different channels? Do they allow allow you to um, hold on to some margin? Um, yes, I mean the margins will always be better. Yeah. Um, but the way I'd I'd qualify that is to say that the the thing we try and do with the brands is to create new markets. Therefore, we're setting the benchmark. We're yeah. we're we're creating the price points. Um, whereas if one of my little niche markets ever gets to the point where it's big enough for own label entries, then then the price game may well change. Yeah. But while they're small in their niche, yeah, you you can extract a little bit a little bit more than you might be able to do as is the pure contract manufacturing. And the thing about pure contract manufacturing is that there's always somebody else doing it. So you immediately, mm. you know, if there's nothing different between your specification and their specifications, it comes down to price, of course. Yeah. At which point, you know, the buyer is in the box seat. Yeah. Uh, and is going to drive the, the the value relationship. Whereas if there's a branded equity involved, if there's a unique proposition involved, you know, then 
whoever, whether it's a supermarket, a department store, or, or you know, a niche inter, in, internet retailer or whatever, yeah, um, ha, it's, it's more in their interest to work with you in building that sort of bigger value <coughs> yeah. proposition behind yeah. your brand. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go back to the management buyout. Practically, sure. yeah. practically, for people who are people who are thinking, God, I'm running part of this business. I, I reckon. I could institute a management buyout, and perhaps the perhaps the company would be interested. What, what what do you need to do to get to get to the point where you have a credible uh, position? Um, you need belief and persistence. Yeah. You need you need a coherent business plan um, because if you want funding for that business plan, you you've really got to be able to you know live and breathe it and sell yeah. it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and the first shape of deal that you come up with may not necessarily be the one that the seller is going to accept, but don't, don't, don't let that make you give up is, yeah. is one bit of advice. I mean, we went through four different attempts before we actually succeeded. Mm. Um, mm. And that, you know, with, with sometimes different parties involved. Um, yeah. I mean, the initial one, we had one of the, the, the directors of the company that we were trying to execute our buyout from um, on the team. Yeah. And that helped in the initial phase, and then later he dropped off, and you know the shape of the the, the final deals that, that that led through to our eventual buyout um, didn't interest him so much. And in some sense, we didn't need him to open the doors anymore because the doors were open, and, yeah. and he was there at the start to open the doors. But but that's something to think about. If if you know, um, you may need somebody on board that that that's going to get you either um, you know. A credible hearing at the, the PLC boardroom, mm. um, or or around the table of um, of of a VC. If you haven't gone a track record, that that might help in your particular circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, certainly it, it it got me in front of of one VC who, um, at that point was was talking you know very seriously about funding that shape of deal. I mean, when we yeah. ran every receivership, we didn't have a VC involved in the end because um. um Slightly harder argument to put. This this business has just failed. Please lend me lots of money to, to, to buy it. You know, they yeah. back off a little bit unless unless there's a very good case for it. Yeah. Um, but also, of course, if we could do it without a VC, then we were going to because it was going to be cheaper. But, yeah. I mean, uh, so presumably you and your uh, business partner, who, who's Martin, the FD. I yeah, think, that's right. Um, you, you're China, yeah. you're the, the full equity holders. Are you in the business? We are indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're deadlocked at fifty-fifty, so it's kind yeah. of like we, we have this shareholders agreement, which is which is like playing Russian roulette, you know. Yeah, it's we a good one. Stay friends. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I've heard I've heard about that particular that particular Russian roulette clause, whereby um, if somebody wants to take it over, you have to you you so we're going to a bidding war. But anyway, that's that's a, by the by, we'll, we'll forget about that for a minute. Indeed, yeah, um, yeah. So in terms of funding, as I understand it, you just you just went to the bank and got the money. <laughs> I know it's well, not as simple as that. Yeah, is it? we did. But, I, mean, I mean, there's an element. I mean, you know, the, the, fir the first bank I went to was obviously my bank and emptied it um, yeah. of everything I could put my hands on. Yeah. Um, although, you know, we, we 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 balanced how we did that. I mean, I didn't I didn't risk everything I had, um, yeah. but I put enough in that it it was going to make my eyes water very badly if if I if I lost it. Yeah. Um, and I think you know that's that's the first thing to say to anybody who's thinking about it is that, okay, how much money are you prepared to lose mm. personally mm. yourself? Yeah. You know, sit down with, um, you know, your, your partner, your wife or whoever, and, and say, right, I want to buy this business. And it means I might need to remortgage the house and or I might need to do this. And, you yeah. know, and, and, and if you're not up for that, don't even start. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because unless you're prepared to, 
takes risks and pain, no one's going to take you seriously. Yeah. Um, it may be an obvious point, but it, it, it's one that you know um, is probably worth worth remembering. Um, and if you are, then people are going to listen to you because you're obviously serious. Mm-hmm. Says, I'm mm-hmm. serious. I'm prepared to risk my money. Will you risk some of yours as well? Yeah. Um, and then yes, we we did work with with about we worked with HSBC actually, and there was a cracking guy there called James Shepherd mm-hmm. at the time, uh, who was the um, um, commercial uh, manager in in, in Bristol. Yeah. Um, had a reputation for a guy who liked to do deals and had the backing of, of his local hierarchy to get get a, a bigger share of the deals that were available in the Bristol area. Yeah. And he worked through with us for, for two years, you know, on, mm-hmm. on the various incarnations of the project, got to know us and got to know the plan very well. Yeah. And that meant that his endorsement, I think, got us a, a, a better level of funding yeah. given the circumstances than we might otherwise have got. So, so yeah. that, you know, that helped that we built such a good relationship with that guy. And and um, yeah, and then a mixture as I think as I think um, we've we've corresponded on before that mixture of kind of funding mechanisms. So mm. we, the buyout vehicle was a new, new company, so it qualified for the small firms loan guarantee scheme. Yeah, yeah. You know, always worth remembering. You know, you, you can pay that back over ten years. It comes with a bit of a premium, of course, but you you've got a long long payment schedule. Mm. And the individual payments are, are relatively small. Um, that that's that's a start. You know, you then put your money on top. Yeah. Um, obviously, we bought some assets. We're a manufacturing company, so we bought some, you know, some physical kit. The bank could come and kick the tires, and yeah, yeah. and you know, look in a database and get a get a price for that. Um, so we 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 obviously you know mortgaged all the assets that we were acquiring. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the money we 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 effectively borrowed from the vendor. Yes. We paid them paid them back in uh, in the form of deferred consideration, which is um if you can get it is brilliant because you know generally um. You know, can be can be interest free. Yeah, absolutely. Although the, the the repayment schedule in our instance was onerous. Yeah. You know, it was tough. You know, we ran the business for for the first few months, literally to generate the cash to meet those payments. Yeah. Um, now I know your F, your FD says debt focuses the mind. Um, absolutely. It clearly, it clear, <laughs> clearly has done in in your case, and in fact many businesses' cases, whether whether small or medium or large. Um, how uh, <laughs> you have to have balls of steel, don't you? <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. Metaphorically speaking, obviously. Yes, because, obviously. Um, yes. You know, you're, <laughs> if you're not a chap, then okay, physically that may be difficult, but well, um, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, you've got to have guts. You, you, you've got to believe. I mean, I've said this uh, a number of occasions in either blog posts or, or in conversations with people, it's, yeah. and it's that kind of like, you know, you, you've got to believe. You've got to be prepared to like, you know, when the window opens, you've got to jump out it, believing that you're going to land because you know what you're doing. You know mm. how to land. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you're going to persuade other people to do it as well. Absolutely. Take my hand. You'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> Come with me. I'll look after you. Don't worry. Here we go. Exactly. And, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and sort of, yeah, as you said, debt focuses the mind. Um, there are many different strategies you can look at for funding a business, whether you get equity partners involved or, or, or you do it in debt, uh, entirely on debt the way we did. Yeah. The other aspect, of course, is that's fine. I've now executed the deal. I've bought myself a company, as I, as I sort of, uh, as I said in a, in a, in a tweet on, on the, um, on the 27th, um, mm. you know, by the end of the day of signing all the deal, and doing the the, the the whole legal process, 
Um, you know, I mean, ours was a relatively short, short day. Really. I think we only, we only sat in the lawyer's office for about 13 hours. I think some people, you know, <laughs> they stretch into 36 and more. But That's why um, you need the funding <laughs> to pay for the legal right, fees. That's right. Yeah. By the end of that day, I, I, I found myself owning a £5 million business with, with 45 employees. Yeah. And they all needed paying the following week. So I needed some cash flow as well because, you know, buying the business was one thing, but I've now got, um, you know... A hundred customers, and and I've got a Tesco lorry outside the the factory gate waiting for its goods. Yeah, crikey, you know, um, okay, I ship those goods to to my customer today, and great, I've made a sale. Day one, I've made a sale. That feels yeah. good when you suddenly you're owning the business, you're selling goods straight away. Mm. Um, you did you know, have the advantage. I'm going to see that money for, for yeah. 45, 60 days or whatever. How yeah. am I going to going to pay? You, you, reach, you need yeah. some cash flow finance as well, and I think that's you know vital that that you've got a cash flow finance strategy as well as a acquisition strategy yeah of course you had the customers in place obviously at the outset how did they did you lose any along the way did you cull any how did you how did you deal i mean in terms of the customers and your products how did you refocus after if indeed you did after we did oh we did absolutely yeah yeah, Yeah. um um we we lost one as a result with the receivership yeah. Um, there was obviously, you know, think about receivers. All contracts are broken, and, and one of my my retail customers um, enacted that very sentence to me and ran away, basically. Yeah. You know, um, but but only one, and it and and it wasn't you know a, a, a critical mass kind of customer. It was, you yeah. know, it was a bit of business we'd have liked to have kept, but unfortunately, it wasn't possible in the circumstances. Mm, mm. And, and, and such is life. Um, and we had just key suppliers who just didn't play ball and said, well. You know, if you, unless you play cash, you don't get get materials, and we had to deal with all of that as well. Mm. But in terms of you know customers and markets, yeah, we did. I mean, the, the, the um, I mean, the, the way we 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 financed the cash flow was just simply by the invoice discounting factoring. You know? Yeah. Um, um, you know, the following day we, you know, raise an invoice, and the next morning you you you've got a facility of seventy five percent of that invoice value. So fun, fundamentally, we you know signed away the debt to yes. to to a provider. Yeah. Fantastic. You know. You know sensible thing to do practical thing to do in this day and age you know the the because it's secure for the banks it's it's the kind of methodology that they, they want to go for they're not mm. going to give give you a million pound overdraft they're going to want something to secure that against you know yeah. it's expensive um, though isn't it um yes it can be um it depends on the quality of your debtor book i've got a pretty good debtor book because we deal yeah. with big retail so they're you know they're, they will pay yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the systems are automated and you know, if you present an invoice through their, their 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 digital systems in the correct way, and there's no issues with it, then then it gets paid when it's due. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. like clockwork. Yeah. Um. So so there is, you know, it depends on the shape of your business and the size of your business, but um, it's probably not as expensive as not having any cash. You know? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but one of the one of the problems yeah. that was in 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 the first year we had um. My biggest customer at the time, who wasn't a, a, a supermarket, was a, a brand owner, and we were contract manufacturing, contract manufacturing for them. Mm. Um, the the problem there was that the, the the balance between the sort of the factoring, their payment terms, and and the relatively thin margin of it meant that every time we shipped them a container load of goods, our cash position worsened. Yeah. Um, and so we got to the point that within thirteen months of buying the business, we managed them out. Yeah. So. You know, and as I day one, they were my biggest customer. So that that was that was a difficult and tricky strategic repositioning to yeah. to undertake. Yeah. Um, but we did it in such a way that, um, yeah, we had some some 
natural churn in 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 kind of a head count um mm-hmm. and we just we just didn't replace people so as, as they kind of left yeah. um we let people drift off um uh, as we let this business go and repositioned and, and and built again from there and i think you know one of my one of my um first blog posts on on positive churn was was you can't grow you out of a hole and that mm. was very much driven by that is that in order to turn the the cash position of the business into a sustainable platform that we could then grow from we had to set the business down in size yeah yeah and, yeah. and live within you know the, the funding that we had and within yeah um the cash cycle that we could sustain um and, and get out of business that was just making life harder every mm, day mm. i mean i think that's a really valuable lesson for any business of any size actually uh, uh there, there are you know people there's an awful lot talked about of course about growth but um growth at any at any cost is pointless yeah absolutely and, and growth does cost yeah <clears throat> you know you need cash to grow yeah so if you've just come out of a buyer and you, you you've got an, an onerous series of debt repayments to make uh, you're dependent on factoring and and you know there's a there's a 75 percent you know prepayment or drawdown um you know you, you've got a very finite you know cash universe to live within yeah um and so you've got to manage your business with that. And if that means you can't grow, you can't grow. Yeah. You've got to make yourself more profitable within within those confines. And um, you know, you just have to take practical decisions about that. You know, and sometimes we turned away pieces of the business that we thought, oh, it's the kind of business we'd really like to be doing. But at that point in time it wouldn't have been possible, it would have damaged the business yeah. to, to take it on. So yeah. you have to be practical. Now, um, patient. <laughs> indeed. Now uh, you've mentioned a couple of times your blog and um one of the things, one of the reasons that Seven Delta has attracted my eye is that you have um, used quite a lot of the kind of social networking, blogging, um, Twitter type tools to just talk about what you as an individual and, and the business too, and you've got a, a blog at Seven Delta, are up to. And it's, it is actually a phenomenally um, interesting insight into you know real how you know how people are really running their businesses today i mean you you kind of you're kind of an old school i mean you're not old school but in people's perceptions uh you know a textile manufacturing company in the southwest um, isn't particularly likely to be leading the way in terms of we we make things put them in boxes put them on wooden pallets and put them on lorries you know we're 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 not a uh you know an it startup we're not a, a a uh, an e-retail company we're not you know we're not we're not cutting edge or anything no you know? but i mean in the same um, way as in the same way as Hugh McLeod kind of made famous as it were through blogging um the likes of Stormhook, a small south african winery and um english cutlet a, a savile row tailor none none of the, no neither of those businesses are a web 2.0 tech startups um, and in the same way, um, I think what you're doing, and you're doing it without the help of Humor Cloud in partic- particularly, um, you're doing a very which is much harder. I which is much say. harder. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you don't have that. You don't have that A-list blogosphere clout. But anyway, that's by the by. But but and you may not. I post... think there's more wine if they called it gaping void. Personally, but <laughs> well, there they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think. Um, I think what's interesting is that you know you don't post tremendously frequently, but you do post some real corking corking blog posts. If anyone anyone interested in in business at all should definitely check out your blog. And there's one blog post in particular where you talk about the fact that when you took over, um, you know, from a personal point of view, when you took over 
uh, you bought out and you became MD of Seven Delta. You had no um, experience of being a managing director. You, you hadn't, you know, you might have read a few books here and there. You hadn't got an MBA. You just had no. to get stuck in and do it. And the point, the the the, little, the pieces of advice that you that you've got in that blog post are well worth reading, and I'll I'll put a link in the in the show notes to that. But just highlight for for listeners. Um, yeah. A few of the a few of the things that you've learnt in your in your five year journey. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things I think is you know if, if you're the guy in the hot seat, you know you you you've got to lead and you do need a head for strategy. You, I, strategy I, is something you can't evolve. You know, yeah. I I've got friends who, who who still work in 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 big PLCs and 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 you know we having dinner and things. And I say, oh yeah, you know we just. We've got a beauty of agencies in to talk about strategy and get them to propose a strategy to us. And I kind of go, well, you know, that's what your job. Why you, you mm. can't outsource strategy? You, you've got to understand your business and where it's going and how you're going to take it forward. And you've got to be thinking forever on on your horizon. You'll be saying, well, where are we going to be in eighteen months, in three years? Yeah. Because that's because that's a that's a normal business cycle, and that that's going to you know those horizons are going to come and eat you before you know it. You've mm. got to know where you're going to be when you get to that point. But you still got to run the day to day as well. You've got to keep that balance, you know, yeah. um, you've got to be a one man time machine and that kind of sense. You've got to keep leaping forward and then coming back and making sure that today's, you know, that's the bread and butter as well. Yeah. Um, you've got to understand the numbers. You yeah. just have to, it, it, if you want to run a business, then, then le- learn, learn about accounting. You know, um, you don't need to become an accountant or be an expert. You've got to be able to understand the terms. You've got to find your way around the books, and and you've got to know how to how to ask for the right numbers that enable you to drive the car. Otherwise, you know, mm. you'll crash it pretty mm. quickly. Mm. Um, you know, um, and, and and that means you know from top to bottom, you've got to understand that okay, if we spend this money here, then the impact on that over here is going to be this, and well, if we don't do it, then it's going to be that. And, and you know, you've got to understand how every cost in your business interrelates and how they react to each other. Yeah. Um, because sometimes it, it's it's the little things that just grow into bigger problems and, and, you know, cause you the real headaches. That's something I've learned for sure. So, you know, sometimes yeah. as well, uh, the things that you think are going to be the causes of, of a problem aren't. You still get the problem because that was another decision over here that caused it instead. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. didn't perceive that at the time. Um, so you've got to understand the numbers. Really, really have, you know. Um, and it, you know, cash flow in particular. I mean, I've said before that you know, at the end of the sort of beginner's guide to cash flow for me is, is kind of like, well, if uh, if your credit terms from your your suppliers are longer than the payment terms you you, you get out to your customers, then then you know yeah. you, your cash positive good. Yeah. It's the other way around. Think about how you can do something about it because yeah. you know, every time you ship goods, your, your cash position is going to worsen. So you know, simple things like that mm. need to mm. be need to be things that you can look at yeah. regularly. Um, Marketing is, is I mean, I, my background is, is, in, is in marketing, so um, it, it's easy for me to say, but I mean, I've worked for MDs who dismiss marketing as, as nonsense and gobbledygook for bullshit, you know, <laughs> and you just can't, you know, yeah. if, if you're running a, a, a smallish business, then, you know, everything you do is marketing of your business, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, it's as simple as saying, you know, hello, we have something for sale, well, how are you going to do that, how are you mm. going to tell the world? Uh, it's not about advertising and television and and you know advertising agencies and lunch. You know, nice if it is. You know, <laughs> not 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 in my universe. You no, know, no. Um, you know, but but marketing is part of your business, and so understand how you can use it. And and I work goes back into strategy for me. Yeah, you know, it really does. Um, so it, that brings us back, I guess, a little bit to what on earth Seven Delta's doing in the blogosphere. <laughs> well, I mean, um, there's, I mean, I know, you know, what, um, how did you? 
how did that happen? Was that just a personal interest? Was that a, a meeting, an encounter? I mean, how did that how did that work out? What what made you start blogging? Um, what made me start blogging? I mean, I think I'd I'd had I'd played with it for a while. I mean, way back when we did the buyout, I I had a I think in in middle of two thousand four, sort of a year on, I I kind of signed up for a blogger account. Yeah. And, um, and part of my mission there was, well, I'm going to write a diary of the buyer. I said, and it just, you know, time, you know, yeah, a year yeah. had already gone before I even thought about it. And, and then I didn't do anything for another year and another year. And, you know, and just eventually it was just something that I wanted to do um, in terms of sharing the experiences, you know, sort of the, the, the you know, the bloggers like growing and growing and growing. And, but, but there being more and more relevant stuff in there coming out about people writing about business and about technology yeah. and about finance, you know, um, um, that, that I thought this is great. There's a conversation going on here mm, that, mm. that I want to contribute, and you know I'm sitting here reading it, so I should voice voice my 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 kind of view, if you like. So yeah. you know, become a bit of a serial commenter to start with, and then and then thought, well, I can't I can't can't start running longer and longer. I mean, so I think some of my comments sometimes almost turn into mini posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. I think one that I've left on on Small BizPod, I've then. <laughs> Pulled, pulled back across and re, re, reissued yeah, as, a, yeah. as a positive term post. So, yeah. you know, and then so just like, well, and, and we had a theory. I said, Martin, I've always had a theory. Things like you can't grow your way, your way out of a hole. I mean, things like, you know, uh, one of my posts was that, you know, if, if you build it, they will come, which is kind of, we just got to try stuff and see what works. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, these are things we say around the business. Positive churn is one of, you know, the, the, the things that I, I say to people in my business in the ordinary turn of how, how we do things, you know, it, it, it is managing the churn. Bits fall off, new stuff comes on. Yeah. What we have to do is make sure that the stuff coming in is better than the stuff going out, and that goes for recruitment and everything else, you know. And so I thought, well, we've got a, a theory, we've got a way of doing things. Let's share it with the world and yeah. see yeah. if anyone's interested, you know. Well, uh, Clive, Bernie, thanks very much. Uh, I, it, uh, so you're a great British business blogging voice, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And well, I'm sure, yeah, and a pleasure, that. and I'm sure listeners will um, appreciate uh, your your hints and advice and, and and story too today. So thanks very much for your time. Okay, thanks, Alex. Well, there you go. So a, a really fascinating interview with Clive. There, really down to earth guy, really top bloke, but uh, got a shrewd head for business and knows what he's doing, or is, has learned to know what he's doing on the job as it were so his blog post at positive churn i'll put a link in the show notes are well worth checking out um and uh, yeah i hope you really enjoyed that interview i think there was a lot of really good practical advice there from clive so thanks again now just quickly to uh, round off some comments i've had in michael Shakechef, who's a md of casper shipping limited up in uh, middlesbrough i think um did I get that right? Yeah, Middlesbrough. Uh, listens to the podcast when he's uh, on long trips and says he really enjoys it. And he's off to join the Small Biz Pod Facebook group too, which you can do also. Uh, so well over 200, nearly 250, 300 people uh, joined the Facebook group now. So there's a good little community going on over there. So if you take a look for the Facebook button on the site at smallbizpod.co.uk, go over and join that. That would be cool. And... Uh, so thanks, Michael, for that. Glad you enjoy the show. Um, Paul Gretsch, uh, who got the Rachel Elner question right but too late, says, um, thanks for the show. Loves hearing the interviews. And, yeah, thanks very much for your feedback, Paul. That's 
cool. Um, he says, I mean, he has some suggestions um, on uh, on a podcast episode on time management. And I think if I can get the right people on, that's a good topic. Uh, so I'm planning something. It's just a question of whether I can get the people I want to get on the podcast to talk about time management. Massive topic, but uh, an important one. So, yeah, thanks for that, Paul. That's really good. Another listener suggestion for a show which I'm always pleased to have if you have a suggestion for a show or you know somebody who's an entrepreneur or you are an entrepreneur and you think you've got a great story to tell email me at alex dot uh, sorry yeah alex I can't remember the universe but email address no no alex at smallbizpod.co.uk and then finally Daniel and this is a segue into some music Daniel says um, life uh, oh no that's me who says life is good life is good he said um daniel says uh, how much he enjoys the show which is always cool but he also says i should stop apologizing for the music because he likes it even if nobody else does in fact i know a lot of people do like it i kind of tease uh myself that it's uh, an odd addition to this particular podcast i enjoy it i know you do thanks daniel i will hold my head up high and say i love this track and this track as another link to today's podcast, Clive Burney, I happen to know, lives in Portishead, a Somerset seaside town. Portishead, a very famous trip-hop band, virtually invented a kind of a whole new genre. Trip-hop turned into chill-out. And this track by uh, JB, it's the JB drum mix, is a track called Bird's Flock. And it's very much in the chill-out vein, so hope you enjoy it. <laughs> 